Running Light Ministry Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Cool. Welcome to the Better Pleasure Podcast. My name is Bo. I'm Peter. And we're with Running Light Ministries, and this podcast is called the Better Pleasure Podcast, where we talk about sex, sexuality, and sensuality from a biblical perspective. And whatever that means, because the Bible has a lot to say about this subject <laughs> in, in all kinds of ways. Um, but we try to kind of pull out uh, biblical truths and, and uh, on these topics and kind of make it relatable to people. Um, kind of one of the reasons, too, we do this podcast is because uh, some people might be saying, why do you guys do this, this podcast? Like, what's it all about, you know? Um, but I would say that one of the main reasons we do this is to to have a place, a specific place where um, people can go and they know that this topic is going to be addressed. So, you know, whether, you know, sexual things will be addressed on this topic um, and uh, and the Bible and our culture and things like that. So, um so it's great to have an outlet for this kind of thing. Um, again, some people might say, "Well, hey, does, don't you guys aren't you guys a little over excessive?" But I would just say, "Hey, you got to read the Bible, um, you know. And you, you, if you read the Bible at all, you're going to understand that uh, sex has a pretty important place in it. And uh, uh, so that's why we even devote this amount of time to such a subject." Yeah. too so well on episode 74 um i want to talk a little bit about um my presentation that's going to happen at pima college next week right <laughs> two weeks <laughs> two weeks yeah i just <laughs> checked um and uh, that will be porn to trafficking bridge <laughs> um which will be cool so i'll touch base on that a little bit with you guys and we can talk a little bit about um what the Bible speaks about these subjects, because most people don't even think it does, hmm. which is weird. <laughs> uh, two books I'm reading right now. One of them is Becoming Sexual by R. Danielle Egan. And uh, this is a critical appraisal of the sexualization of girls. And she is professor and coordinator of gender and sexuality studies at St. Lawrence University. Okay, so she, and she's a candidate Boston graduate school. Um, anyway, that's her. And then I'm reading this book too. It's called Big Porn Inc. Exposing the Harms of the Global Pornography Industry. Yeah. And um, let's see. Um, this is highly recommended. 2012 Australian Education Publishing Awards. And this is by Melinda Tankard Raced and Abigail Bray. So, um, and this is a collection of uh, basically essays. Um, so there's different contributors in this. One of them is a gentleman that we did a podcast by, Professor um, Jensen out of University of Texas at Austin. And... Um, so he talks a lot about um, patriarchy, and we've kind of talked a little bit about him too. But there was an interesting quote here. This is about this is from Maggie Hamilton, one of the articles in here. It's called Groom to Consume Porn, How Sexualized Marketing Targets Children. And you guys 
uh, have already know a lot of these arguments because it talks about corporations and how they're predators, kind of like uh, child um, predators. Um, kind of corporations take that same approach, you know, and they kind of go through it. And it's a little creepy for sure when you read this article. But one of them, you'll get an understanding of it. It says, when a girl or boy grows up in a toxic sexual atmosphere, their inhibitions are lowered to the point that accessing porn seems a natural progression. The sexualized climate of our children are growing up in this manufactured process, not an organic one. The sexualized landscape children are now forced to inhibit, reshapes their attitude to sex and their desires. And it starts long before they learn to read or write. Okay, so she's talking about really early on, right? I don't agree with any of that statement, by the way. (laughs) You know, um... You know, it. You know, when I read this, it says, "When a girl or boy brings up uh, or grows up in a toxic sexual atmosphere, their inhibitions are lowered to the point that accessing porn seems a natural progression." The reason why I disagree with that is because because this person's assuming something that I would fully disagree with, like her premise, and that is that is that environment, just the right environment's gonna gonna help it's gonna do it right you know and i would say no like it it, to a degree it might help but also to a degree it might not help Mm -hmm. Uh, meaning there is something in people that will move them to see sex regardless of their their childhood and maybe it's because sex is interesting to young people. Right. Am I on the right track at all? <laughs> yeah. Or am I just nuts? I think about uh, Beatrice Webb, who was, um, she was a woman who pioneered a lot of like the welfare systems and social change that we, um, that a lot of people are still using today. Like her model is still being used today back in, you know, over a hundred years ago uh, in Europe. And, um, Early in her life, she wrote in her diary, she said, I've based everything upon the essential goodness of humanity. Right. And what she meant was like, if you believe, like this woman believes, that there is an environment that would make you conducive to being a good person. That means that we are good people, and what makes us go bad is bad environment or bad genes, right? Nature and nurture makes us go bad, but we're naturally, we're by nature good. And uh, everything that Beatrice Webb did in her social welfare systems was based on that. She's like, why, why is there greed? Why is there poverty? Why is there sickness? Why is there unhealth? Why is it? And her answer to all those was unjust social systems. And if I build social systems that are just and fair for everybody, everyone will be good and we'll build a utopia. And at the end of her life, it's really interesting after working her whole life uh, in that, in the welfare industry, she wrote, in her diary next to that entry where it says I based everything on the essential goodness of humanity. She wrote a a note on the, on the side that said, (laughs) I now realize that there is something seriously wrong with the human heart that no amount of social justice will ever change. Mm. Right. So she, she began as an optimist, right? She ended as a pessimist. And that's, that's the way we go. (laughs) That's right. And so it's like Christianity is the only, 
uh, belief system that states that, that there is something essentially wrong with the human heart and that surely, you know, environment can amplify what's wrong with us, but it doesn't create it, you know, yeah. meaning that like it, it, it can amplify something that's wrong with us, but it can't create it. And that's why there is no environment that guarantees that your, uh, your child won't go uh, a direction that you don't want them to go. Yeah. And there's, you know, in working with, with people every week for years now, um, with, uh, sexual things and issues and, and compulsions or whatever you want to call them. Um, there is just no rhyme or reason to what, there's no pattern that we can just look at and go, oh yeah, this is it. Hmm. You know, there are people that are raised in sexual environments that don't, aren't into it. And then there's people that are. And, and so when she says, when a girl or boy grows up in a toxic sexual atmosphere, which she's talking about toxic sexual, she's talking about just the current climate of the culture. Right. You know, sexualization, um, objectification. Their inhibitions, 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 that's what it is, are lower to the point that accessing porn seems a natural progression. Uh, So she's thinking that what kids do is, um, you know, um, that what makes it, what makes them go to porn is that they are around this kind of sexualized culture. And that that is that is the reason that um you know kids i guess are naturally progressing to porn mm-hmm. um but i don't i don't know if i really move that direction because kids you know kids can you know without porn you know even without the industry that's been going on for the last you know 70 years mm-hmm. you still had all kinds of issues with sex and people growing up and right and and those type of things yeah. um, incredible rape culture in the world over the last 6000 years that we know of yeah um um and i, I don't know if i, I don't know if people want to go back to that mm. where um you know to where you know people are just grabbing girls mm. and raping them um you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, that sounds pretty radical. And like, uh, you um, know, what I usually share with people is like, well, think about what the most desexualized culture there could be. And for my money, I would say it's Middle Eastern culture uh, where I went. You know, I, I deployed there twice and they're they're pretty desexualized. There's no billboards. There's no TV. Um, you know, the women all have to wear their hijabs. You know, they, they have to cover up everything. Um, it, it's very, very desexualized in that way. They've done everything they can to harness to the uh, lust culture, the lust culture, and yet they're some of the most lustful people I've ever met. You know, like even to the point where molestation of little children is almost commonplace for them. Um, you know, the men are, you know, in their 50s, 60s, they marry multiple young girls, young girls, like 10, 11 year old girls. Um, having sexual relations with them. Um, they have sexual relations with their animals, uh, some of them. It's just, it's very crazy. So you look at it and be like, okay, so obviously it wasn't the sexualization of their culture that made them that way. 
You know, yeah. there's obviously something else going on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's there's that what the Bible calls the uh, I mean, you could just call it the uh, fallen human condition. Right. And no one's good. No, not one. Yeah. You know, um, and it's funny because, you know, there was that article that you showed me years back it's called like red light porn district or something like that mm-hmm. where they did a um they did a survey of every place that had the highest porn per capita and it was all religious cultures you know so all cultures that say that it's wrong they had the highest subscriptions to porn than any of the other areas which is so funny i think uh, uh yeah i think we were, we weren't or what were we looking? What countries were they? Do you remember? Well, I mean, uh, in in the U.S. for sure. I I can't remember the countries, but I do remember in the U.S. Utah had the highest. Yeah. Uh, as being high, highly Mormon <laughs> place, and then yeah. you know the the highest, like the Bible Belt and stuff, had huge amount of porn per, uh, subscriptions and. Right. You know, it's just, it's just crazy, and uh, you know, I think it was when we were. Um, it was around the time that we interviewed. Uh, what's his name, David? David Yates, David Lay, Lay, David Lay. Oh. Yeah. Cause I think he commented on that in his article. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah, he did in his article where he talks about porn versus religion. Yeah. Where he talks about how um, it's actually these cultures that are trying so hard to right. be non-sexual are the most sexual, you know, yeah. <laughs> are they the one, they're the ones that gravitate to maybe the outlet of porn. Yeah. You know, cause it's hidden and yeah, but they still, it's, so it's like, I can, it's I can try to there. stop it, but it's still in there and it's going to yeah. find its way out. Yeah. Somehow, you know, and you even think of even, you know, I even think of like what we call even in America where you have this, you know, this idea that in the fifties or, you know, there was this, <laughs> this leave it to beaver kind of deal <laughs> and, and that there, you know, that that kind of sexuality was great and, and everything like that. And, and but really was it <laughs> you know was it really good yeah. i mean if you ask the women was it really was it really good um did women really experience you know positive sexuality hmm. back then or you know and i tend to think no probably not uh probably the vast majority of women still were not treated very well by their husbands their sexuality in the bed was not very productive there was not much caring for the woman or her pleasure or her desires or things of that nature. It was still very much a, a man type of thing. Um, and sometimes we can look at we can look at something that's especially in a religious context and we can go, oh, he's a real holy man. So, you know, um, you know, everything must be good. And 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 we maybe not know his sex life mm. and not know what his sex life is like with his spouse, with her, you know, with his wife. And he might go, oh, yeah, it's great, you know, but if you really got honest with her, she might go, man, like, I don't, I don't think this isn't good. Yeah. You know, there's not much caring here. There's not much really love involved in this. Yeah. You know? I mean, when you really so. dig uh, in the 50s and stuff, what you see is there was a lot of there was a lot of facades. <laughs> yeah. Know, that it, it was just that people like to keep things quiet. I would say that the only real difference I mean, ob- obviously, there's the the acts, the accessibility to sexual material and stuff like that. But uh, for my money, you know, the only real difference is back in the day, it was just there was so much more baggage attached to talking about stuff like this that it just didn't get talked about, yeah. the negative or the positive. So you don't have people really like communicating about 
um, you know, the mistresses that their husband might have had or, you know, the, the, the strange, the, the maybe even just complete non-sexualization of their marriage where uh, they just had separate beds and they just, you know. Yeah, they were almost like asexual yeah. married couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like we don't talk about that too much. But, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is you, you go back there and uh, you read about the kind of people that lived around there and it's like it, it seems pretty similar to me you know i don't really see much different uh you know as solomon said there's nothing new under the sun yeah and i tend to think we're always thinking there is (laughs) especially in the issue of pornography you know but then when you study art when you really look into art and and erotic art in the in in the ancient world or just in you know the last two thousand years there's a whole boatload (laughs) and uh and and it's uh it's not just in art paintings or drawings or things like that. It's in uh, sculptor sculptures and, yeah. and um, you know, uh, architecture. Uh, so it's all over the place. And it's uh, crazy. It's, it's so funny to me because it's like, dude, if I, if I took a picture of like a, a naked man and I just put it up in my house, <laughs> people would be like, that's weird, Peter. But if I put up a picture of a naked man drawn by Michelangelo, everyone thinks I'm cultured, you know, like if I, if I like make a nude sculpture of myself and put it in my house, people are like, dude, you're a weirdo. Well, it passes the Miller versus California, 1973 slaps test, man, (laughs) you know, which was a court decision in 73 where California versus um, Miller. And uh, it basically was uh, redefined obscenity and it had to pass through what's called the slaps test today, which is, which is there is some kind of, um, social redeeming quality you know there's some kind of scientific <laughs> literature <laughs> political um artistic um you know um uh contribution that that uh quote naked person or picture <laughs> or video has and if it passes the test then it's okay you know and uh, those type of things but yeah, so I tend to think that, you know, you can read, Big Porn Inc. Is, is a good book in the sense that it really flips the pendulum really strong into the anti-porn uh, movement. And um, and it has all different contributors, so you have all different kind of biases that are, that are going as to why... Uh, you know, people do this. Why do people go these directions? Da, 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 da. You know, and there's there's just there's a lot of things to talk about this book um, for sure. But it, I would always recommend books like this. Um, but I would read it with something like our Danielle Egan's Becoming Sexual, because mm-hmm. she writes the critical appraisal of the sexualization of girls. So she, so she, what what Danielle does, which I think is really good, is she takes the that premise of what the book Big Porn Inc. would would utilize, which is, you know, there is sexualization in the the culture. It's uh, permeated through um, corporation, um, out of control capitalism, hence the porn industry, and it's infiltrating everything, and that's why our kids are into porn, and that kind of thing. And she takes a real critical view of those things, and she looks at looks at these arguments um, and really takes them apart. Um, in some pretty intense ways. Um, so it's a heavy book. I think I think Danielle Egan's book is much more difficult to read 
than Big Porn Inc. Big Porn Inc. is kind of like one of those ones where you read it and it's like a shock book. You know, everything you read is like, oh, you know, most people are going to be like, oh my gosh, the porn industry is horrible and, you know, that kind of thing. And and Becoming Sexual, she's going to talk a lot about race. She's going to talk a lot about gender class. She's going to talk a lot about um, presuppositions, um, things that have been rooted in culture, why they're rooted in culture. Do you want to? And she's trying to get to the underlying kind of reasons for things. She brings up a really cool story um, of um, her talking to her mom about her, uh, Danielle's daughter, who's 12. And it's a great story. Uh, the grandmother takes the daughter to a department store. The, the, the daughter picks up some thong um, underwear. And, and so later on, the grandma calls Danielle, and Danielle's asked the question, hey, what'd you guys do? You know, and the grandma says, hey, we went to the department store and bought some things. Danielle goes, oh, well, tell me what, what did you get her? And she goes, oh, well, I got her a couple thong, you know, pairs of underwear. And, and Danielle went, what? Like, she got, like, upset. She's like, thong underwear? She's 12 years old, Mom. Like, why does she need thong underwear? You know, and, and the, the grandma was like, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's comfortable to her. You know, so the grandma had this real innocent kind of thought, you know. But Danielle's mind was all, like, jacked. And, and so she, after the conversation, she had to stop and think through it. So um, she says, my discomfort and suspicion became the lens through which I viewed her purchase and informed my predictions of her future. Mm. You know, so she's talking, she's getting to this, something's in her, this lens that she's looking at her daughter through and, and this purchase of these thong underwear. And she's kind of already like, established this whole like what this is what my daughter's turning into right kind of thing you yeah. know and um and then later on she says uh, initially my preoccupations anxieties and conflicts tinted my perceptions to such an extent that they momentarily limited my ability to listen and to understand you know which is so right on too right um and it wasn't her daughter sorry it was her niece but um doesn't matter, um, <laughs> but but it, it, that's such a good statement because it it talks about her preoccupations, anxieties, conflicts, meaning all that internal fear of like I don't want my daughter to be a whore, you know, and you know how, and she gets into the ideas of how class, you know how that plays a part in that. I don't want her to be like those other people. You know, and now, and when you start putting things that way, like, I don't want her to be like those other people, then we start, you know, that's kind of resonates a little bit with us Bible people, because we start going, hmm, that sounds kind of familiar, where, you know, we can get a real religious self-righteousness, where we start kind of, our fears um, of our kids becoming like that prostitute, or like that, you know, whatever, we start developing these really horrible kind of um, judgments that we can uh, and what makes it horrible is the fear and anxiety she talks about um, that really um, make us not able to really ha sit down and have conversations you know so she ended up having a conversation with her niece and she called her and said hey I was just one I was and she did it great she said hey I'm gonna go I'm thinking about going to buy um, some thong underwear 
and 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 grandma said that you did just did that or something like that hey i was wondering like why do you why do you like them like you know why do you like them and she goes oh because they're comfortable <laughs> and Danielle was like, "Oh, okay." You know? <laughs> and so, you know, it just it's it was it was neat, you know, and um, you know, but she gets I mean, she gets into a lot of really heavy stuff, you know. So, there's that kind of thing. Um, yeah, do you think anything about what I shared with her book at all, Peter? I think it's cool. You know. <laughs> I think it's cool. I it's so funny how we all believe because we live in a society that so highly values um, our tolerance of others. We all believe that we're very, very tolerant. Um, but in reality, we all have those, those fears in us, you know, those fears of, of the others. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We could say all we want, how much we value other cultures and other people groups and uh, ethnicities and even social classes. Uh, but you know, the, the, the rubber really meets the road. It'd be like, okay, would, would you like your kids to be like that? You know, would you, so you parents who say that other cultures and stuff are so great, uh, would you let your kid go to a school on the South side or something like that? You know? And, uh, then, the, <laughs> then it really becomes like, ah, right. Maybe not, you yeah. know, maybe they're not all created <laughs> equal as you said, you know? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Gandhi's the great example, right? Where, you know, everyone can talk about social change and, and meeting people where they're at. Uh, but only Gandhi was willing to actually go live with them. You know, <laughs> be like, yeah, I'm going to actually go live with those people and yeah. hang out with them. And that's, uh, that's very different. Mm, yeah. And that sounds a lot like Jesus, right? Yeah. Comes and lives with us. Yeah. You know, lives with us human beings, you know. So God's example to us is, did he go hang out with those people? Yeah, he did. <laughs> you know, he went and hung out with us, <laughs> yeah. you know, with the human race, yeah. you know, which is pretty radical, right? Yeah. You know, absolutely. So our God's pretty, pretty amazing like that for sure. Um, okay, we're going to talk, switch gears a little bit and just talk a little bit about um, uh, sex trafficking and, and pornography. And and I really want to talk a little bit about concubines too in the Bible. So if you can get that on, in your brain. We can kind of go through that. But what I do at Pima is um, I do just a lecture a semester in a human sexuality class. Uh, I think it's in the psych department, and I've been really just privileged to do it. I, I just find it really fun, and and uh, it, it kind of stemmed from working with Soul No More, a sex trafficking ministry out here. Uh, to which we would tag team going into Pima College and they would do one on sex trafficking and I would do one on kind of pornography and the culture of porn and things like that. So uh, it's developed into this talk where um, it's about is there a bridge between pornography and sex trafficking? Have you ever heard that kind of argument before that pornography leads to sex trafficking? Yeah. Yeah, so it's the... Uh, there's always that argument of, um, you know, what's it called? Escalation. Yeah. You know, even even in that book, in that quote that you just read, of like, you know, I don't want my, my daughter to be a whore and then buying <laughs> thong underwear. That's the first step. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> like, right. if she buys thong underwear, she's as good as a whore. You know, it's going to go that way. <laughs> it's going to. And, it's uh, going to, dude. And that's kind of the way that uh, a lot of people think of like, if you view porn, you're going to buy a prostitute. You're going to you're gonna get into more and more intense and hardcore things until you go yeah. these really bad routes, you know. Yeah. 
there's no way you could just stop it just viewing porn. You're going to, you're going to start viewing, you know, incest porn. And then you start viewing like, you know, uh, maybe like, uh, no kitty porn, kitty porn. Like and then, and then you're going to go this way and that way. And so, yeah, there's always this, uh, this fear of escalation. I, I think it's one of those fears that's completely, um, unprovable, but I mean, we, 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 in a sense have empirical evidence because, um, we, have done it. Have done it. <laughs> yeah, we have done it ourselves, yeah. and we have uh, worked with a lot of people in this area over the years. So we we have these experiences all the time. Um, certainly, it's not in a in a lab, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but we do have personal experiences and experiences weekly with people. And, and we we what I've always found is some people do and some people don't. Yeah. And very few do. Um, and then most people that I know, they, that I've worked with, they're just, you know, they, they like certain things and they kind of stick to them. And that's kind of, I think that's even true for the people that go those directions where it's like, you know, for the majority of people that I talk to and even for myself, it's like, there are some directions that I couldn't go even if I wanted to, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, even if I was like, you know, I kind of want to check that out. If I watched it, it would disgust me yeah it's just, you know it, there's it, nothing arousing it, about it there wouldn't be anything arousing about it but there's some people when they watched it they'd be like i like that you know it, it, it's not you know that's how all everything works and what's yeah. weird is you can get the same person who was quote sexualized in their childhood same situations you know same everything yeah uh same house same experiences within the home everything and have absolutely different outcome yeah yeah. And, uh, you know, just to use like a different because sometimes it's easier to see it when we see some of the more commonplace uh, what we would call sins. I guess sexual sins pretty dang commonplace. But, you know, <laughs> let's let's use a different one. Like that would be kind of like me saying to parents, um, if you allow your your daughter to use social media, she's going to become anorexic, you know, um, where it's like, ha- does that happen? Do do some females who use social media as a result of social pressure and uh, needing to look beautiful become anorexic or develop eating disorders yeah do all of them no you know so it's a false statement that everyone's going to escalate in the exact same way and in the same way it's it's false for me to say that it's a categorical error for me to say that everyone who engages in pornography is going to escalate in the exact same way yeah. So it, it makes it difficult to kind of find a bridge between pornography and sex trafficking just on the whole. Just just like kind of, oh, yeah, this is it. You know, um, some people point to different stats, um, you know, on the Internet. And I was just looking up um, one of them. But this is a common one where 80 percent of men arrested for child ab- sexual abuse were in possession of child pornography. Almost 60% had pornographic images or videos of child, children under five years of age. Um, that's no coincidence. People don't normally begin by looking at images or videos of babies being sexually abused. They usually begin with harmless softcore adult pornography, move to hardcore, graduate to child porn, look for younger... See, so this one's talking about this, this development of it, right? Um... You know, but yet there's obviously before we always have to remember that before the porn industry, Mm. you know, there was such things called concubineism, you know, 
and there were prostitution was is giant um and um you know so it, it's not so we have to you know it, it makes sense that 80% of men arrested for child sexual abuse were in possession of child pornography so that's what they like yeah cuz that's what they like i mean that's that's just simply what they like and into in today's world pornography is one of the sexual outlets um the most probably dominant one of the culture but if you didn't have it yeah um there was other things that they probably could do yeah i mean it would be kind of like if i if i gave you this statistic what if i said you know 80% of people who practice homosexuality have homosexual porn well, it's like, well, yeah, of course they do. You know, like that's that's what they like. That doesn't mean that it led to them uh, becoming homosexual. It just means that since that's what they're into, of course, that's what they're going to gravitate towards in right. all avenues. So it doesn't mean that um, somebody who uh, molests a child, um, it was like they would have never done it, but then they watched it. And then it became more tenable and they escalated to it. And maybe someone was like that. Right. You know, and every now and then, yeah, you'll, you'll find, you'll find the Ted Bundy guy who will be like, you know, I was from a religious home and, yeah. and I watched porn and I became fascinated with it. And, mm. and then it developed into this. And, the, but you know, you have to always remember that the diagnosis for sex Bundy wasn't, isn't that he's a sex addict. Mm. He's got a lot of issues going on. Yeah. I mean, a lot of serious mental things that are happening, um, and the religious environment might have hindered him, right, and not have helped him in the slightest. Yeah, um, because as you pointed out, some of the most religious, highly religious countries um, in the world have horrible sexual practices. Mm. So just because he was raised <laughs> in a religious home doesn't make it like, man, it's the porn problem. Yeah. No, it could have been the religious problem. Right. That really did not, no one helped him understand sex and healthy sex right. and how to interpret what he was watching or how he was excited or what, how, how, um, why he became aroused and that it was okay to be aroused. That right. that's not weird. You know, did anybody get with the young Ted and say, Hey Ted, man, that's normal. Yeah. You know, and, and let's talk about that and let's talk about the Bible and let's talk about how God created sex and arousal is part of God's creation. Did they, did they do that with him or I would imagine not. Yeah. I mean, I saw one of the movies on Ted Bundy and it, it seemed like he was in a very troubled religious home. Yeah. Yeah. As, as, as is usually the case, but you know, that's why, you know, clinical psychologists, when they look at things like this, they, they do what's called multivaried analysis, meaning they, they don't look at just one category and then make connections. They look at many categories and say like, uh, because unless you have a hundred percent, you know, unless you say like a hundred percent of every, if you could do that empirically and say a hundred percent of the people who molest kids begin with porn, right? And you can show that empirically. Um, unless you could do that, what you have to do is you have to say there must be more factors to take into account. There has to be other things going on in their psychology, in their the way they were being raised, in their different desires. Um, you know, you got to look at many, many different things. You can't just look at one thing unless that one thing does account 
for a hundred percent of the people that's how you do analysis and if you don't do analysis that way you usually come out with a um, with a false understanding of reality and if you have a false understanding of reality then you'll have a false solution a false diagnosis a false diagnosis and a false solution for that person so if I if I took that and I say you know um, and, and, and by the way, I, I know that most people who take this, um, who, who do say this, don't believe that if we removed porn, um, it would remove child molesters. Um, but yeah. some, some do, but, you know, most don't. Uh, but what I'm saying is if you, if you just said that, if you said like, you know, this porn leads to that porn, that porn leads to child porn, child porn leads to molestation, and you just said it like that then what people would be hearing is like, oh, okay, so if I just take out porn, there would be more, no more child molesters. Uh, but the issue is that child molestation has existed since the dawn of man. Um, there, you know, and uh, even what I was talking about with the Middle East, you know, it's like the idea of child brides and marrying very, very young women and molestation of kids, like that doesn't come from porn. That's something that's existed in their culture since thousands of years ago where that stuff was pretty normal. Um, that, that, that you can't really blame something that has only existed for the last, you know, 70, 80 years uh, for stuff that humanity's been doing forever. It's kind of interesting. According to March 2013 report from U.S. Department of Justice Bureau of Justice Statistics, from 95 to 2010, the estimated annual rate of female rape or sexual assault declined 58% from 5.0 victimizations per 1,000 females aged 12 or older to 2.1 per 1,000. So it's kind of it kind of throws a little nut in there, right? A little little something in there saying, you know, our rape stats going down, mm. you know, as porn goes up, right? You know, and um, so you know, and and and. So th the point of this all is that it's not just crystal clear, you know, when I'm giving a presentation that I go, oh, yeah, there's a there's a bridge between porn and sex trafficking. And here it is. Yeah. And then I could just talk about that. No. So the reason why um, I, I do this anyway is because pornography is free and pornography is available to every student that I'm talking with. So every student I'm talking with has seen porn. Um, so it becomes great to have dialogue and talk about this with them. And be able to try to influence them too is just awesome. Um, so there's only three things that I've always, I've always, I look at, you know, when, I, when I'm doing these presentations and I try to help them through. And that is pornography, there's a fascination in porn for a couple, for some things. And that is one of them's young people porn and the second thing is is drawing close to young people and what we call cam porn where there's camp people um, uh, maybe girls having a camera in their house in their room and they're uh, videoing themselves and people can kinda zoom you know go into their room through the, the internet and that kinda thing and what's called um, degradation, which you've used the term degradation pornography, um, which is in the genre of what they call gonzo porn, but um, which is just really harsh treating pornography on on women. Unfortunately, um, you know we have a problem as men because a lot of us 
um, like gonzo porn, meaning there's a lot of men that really do prefer this kind of harsh treatment to women pornography. And that is very alarming because you just go, wow, you know, this is like a huge genre of uh, the porn culture. And so so it it kind of uh, it's important for me to to let the let kids know that you know there's you know if you're a if you're a guy out there and um and cuz we're talking about guys and pornography really in this study and or in this in this uh, presentation but when but when you're a guy and and there could be a possibility that someone could be fascinated with young bodies and and porn has definitely uh, um, um, marketed it marketed young people porn, what they call Lolita porn. Um, they've definitely pushed that out over and over. There's tons of teens videos, teen this, teen that, you know, um, just so much uh, that some people certainly can get wrapped into that where they are just totally into young voyeurism young viewing of of naked people girls and and but it's not just that because many people watch teen porn because teen is one of the most sought after searches uh, of the porn genre um, but yet not er not all these people are sex trafficking and and if you asked them hey are you thinking of sex trafficking they're like no nah, no you know yeah. um so but there's also that idea of, um, you know, I think what camera porn does, cam porn, is I think it draws, it can draw people to want to be intimate, like one-on-one -on -one with young girls, which to me becomes like another step of danger. Because um, you have all this porn that says, hey, you know, young people want to have sex you know oh man that's all that's right man that would be awesome and that's your for some reason that is your arousal as as a person like i said it's not everybody's arousal there's many people that watch porn that have no desire for that and but for some reason there's some people that do and then all of a sudden they want to draw close so they can get on these cam sites and they can draw really close um and and that that's interesting because you know when you think about cam porn it's mostly amateur you know meaning these aren't professional porn stars um so you just have the average person you know girl doing it and the the scary part about that is even though there always is these disclaimers of being over the age of 18 and things like that it's like do you really ever know you know no it's like you really don't know this person and some of these people look awfully young you know um, and so that to me becomes, um, like another step, Peter, does that make sense? You know, um, where someone potentially could, I think, get drawn into something like cam porn and really have a compulsion. Um, it doesn't stem. I don't think it stems so much for, for the sex per se, the, the, the it stems from these other things that you're talking about, you know, with, uh, the the psychology of it all you know these other meaning there's loneliness going on there's a lot of depression um you know there's so much happening in that person's life
yeah. that wants to does that make sense yeah and a lot you know for a lot of dudes it's probably you know I, I i would say this would be another probably big factor uh for a lot of them it was probably because they uh either they had a, a great sex life in high school or maybe they had no sex life in high school and so the idea of teenage girls kind of allows them to live live out what they wanted to live out when they were in teenager you mm -hmm. know and they just never had it you know so there's many like you said, Bo, there's many different factors that would that would go into it. You yeah. know, you can't you can't isolate one factor and say it did it. Um, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying that you know, like for someone who um, doesn't even know, maybe because some people like um, I can't remember his name, uh, but that pastor that we watched, um, the pastor that uh, he went to New York. Oh and yeah, 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 and then and went down that road. So it's like someone yeah. like that, where it's like they, it's in them. You know, there is a bend in them already, um, but until they see it, they would never know it was there. Meaning if I were to ask some of these people, you know, like, are you into to kids? And they'd be like, no, you know, but when they saw it, something in them would be like, I do, you know, and, and then they would go down that path. And that's weird. That's weird to us, but that's weird how someone could just all of a sudden snap like that, yeah. you know, at the age of 45, yeah. 55, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's, uh, I would say that that's, that's probably, you know, I don't, I don't really know the stats off, you know, but, um, I would say it's probably more rare you yeah. know, for, the, for the majority of people that would go down those roads. Uh, that would be something that they've dabbled in before, you know, mm -hmm. meaning that's something that they've thought about. Yeah. Uh, something that maybe, uh, has been a part of their, their arousal many times in the past. You yeah. Know? And I, I would also say, you know, the, the thing about it is that, it's hard for a lot of Americans to understand uh, because we look at it as such a horrible, and it is horrible. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not, but we look at it as such a horrible thing. We can't comprehend that one of the reasons why it's so horrible to us is because we live in a culture that says it's so horrible. That's right. Meaning this, if I, if I go to over to Afghanistan where child molestation is commonplace, right? Marrying young girls is normal having sex with young boys is normal. All of a sudden you see that a lot, the majority of the population is engaging in what we would consider child porn. Um, and you know, you have one of two choices at that point. You could either say Afghanis are inferior to us, right? That's the issue. They're an inferior race and that's why they go after things like that. Or you have to reflect and say, maybe there is something broken in all of us. And if you were in a situation where that was acceptable and praised, you might do the same thing. And that's terrifying for us. You know, we don't want to say that we want to say like, you know, those people are just really, really sick, Yeah. you know, and we would never do something like that. But we find time and time again, as we do studies that the things that we say we would never do when you're in an environment where it's accepted and praised, you'll do it. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, it's crazy, but that's just, it again, it reveals the truth of the Bible that there's something, there's something wrong with us. Yeah. Know? And so, and, and really what you're talking about leads us right into the concubines and we'll take the last 10, 15 minutes just to go over that. Mm. Concubines are in the Bible. Um, and, and concubines are in the Bible from, I think I brought up the first mention of them in Genesis 25, 6, but under the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, 
Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east of the country. So we see that Abraham um, had concubines, you know, and he's the first mention of it. Um, and a lot of people have problems with this. Um, but everything I'm talking about in the presentation of young people porn, drawing close to young people, even treating them harshly, is all something that's in the Bible. It's, these are all things that are in the biblical narratives when it's talking about concubinism, you know. So, you know, from your understanding, what it was a concubine? So a concubine, I mean, the, the strict definition of it is it's simply a woman that you would have sexual relations with without giving them the benefits of marriage. Um, in that category, it's very wide. <laughs> so right. you can have people that have these concubines but they basically treat them like wives and they treat them well but they just never officially marry them and it was kind of their way of getting around the monogamy thing it was almost like you consider it like a mistress today where you have your wife but then you also have these other women that you could have sexual relations with without actually marrying them yep um, some of them in the Bible were given wife-like privileges. Right. Sons, uh, you can look at the ancestries uh, in the Bible, and you can see the sons of concubines right. um, that are there right. in the lineages. So um, it, it's not it, it, not all concubines were, in a sense, um, these kind of lower, lower, lower uh, people. O on the whole, they definitely were, you know, second-class right. citizens. Yeah. Um, but, um, y you know, there was, there was examples of, um, um, you know, people being married to concubines, um, in the book of Judges. Right. Um, so you see that type of behavior too with concubines. So a concubine just wasn't, it wasn't just a sex slave per right. se. Right. Um, we see that King it David could go that way. It though. could go that way. Right. King David um, gave uh, the charge of the house to the concubines that he had, meaning they were to care for the home. Um, um, what exactly did they do? I'm not sure, because <laughs> he also had servants. But concubines acted as servants right. in a lot of ways. Right. Um, uh, we certainly see concubine. Um, usage get totally out of hand in the Bible with guys like Solomon. Uh, we see um, that Gideon um, had had wives, and then he also had concubines. Mm -hmm. And one of the sons of the concubines ended up killing all of his other sons. Yeah. But um, uh, but there's distinctions made, uh, like between wives and concubines in the Bible too. So not, not only could a concubine be married, but it gets a little confusing because <laughs> sometimes the Bible will separate those two right? and say, hey, he had wives, he was into polygamy, yeah. and he also had concubines, Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. so, yeah, so that would be, you know, just like the broad definition of it. And then, like, like Bo said, there's categories within concubinage. So mm -hmm. there could be um, women that, um, were treated very well and had a lot of authority and, and uh, were, were even respected in a household who were concubines. But then you can go all the way down to the bottom of concubines being just straight up sex slaves. You know, women that were either um, gotten through warfare uh, from other countries and they were just sold as concubines and people yeah. can have them and do whatever they wanted with them and they could treat them very badly uh, with 
basically no repercussions um, and things like that. Um, in the law, the Bible forbids that type of usage of people, uh, forbids that kind of sexual usage of women. It, it would, you know, there, you, there's no way you could read the law as a Jew and say concubinage is okay. It's very clear uh, what you're allowed to do with your, uh, with your slaves, how you're allowed to get your slaves, yeah. um, and how you're supposed to deal with your sexual relationships. Yeah, there was certain protections in them in Exodus 21. I think there's some some verbiage, but it, it's very. I mean, it's very difficult for us. You, you know, we read a lot of. You can read a lot of Bible dictionaries and just histories and stuff like that. It's hard to kind of figure out exactly how the law. Um, uh, played a part in uh, this idea of how to treat these these girls that whether it was from war that they were brought into Israel or it was through poverty that they became the property of another person to help them through that poverty um, but there is there is some some laws there to restrain people from treating them harshly yeah you know, which, um, uh, which is good, obviously. Um, but yet the reason why the law is there is because, uh, people did treat them harshly and women were treated bad. And, um, and this is what leads some people to think patriarchy is the big problem. It's this male dominance, um, that, becomes the real problem which me and peter always just say well it's not just it's not the the, the problem with male dominance is not is a problem with human the human condition right you know that's right. in our hearts i love uh c.s lewis commented on that because someone asked him about slavery and they they weren't talking you know in america slavery is like a it's it's got a lot of connotations for us because we think about the african slave trade and there's a lot of bad but well you know the word slavery just means to own a slave it doesn't necessarily have to be a slave out of race as you mentioned it could be a slave out of uh, economic reasons right uh, it could be a slave for just a time you know it didn't have to be the way that it was with the african slave trade but anyway someone asked c.s lewis if he uh what he thought about slavery in general and he said um he said, my problem with slavery is not that some men uh, shouldn't be slaves, meaning that in some situations slavery might be good for someone who is very frivolous with their money and gets into a large amount of debt, and it would be good for them to have to work that off. Uh, but he says, but I, I hate slavery because no man is fit to be a master. You know, and I, I love that, that line because what he's saying is so, is so perfect for what we need to understand. Uh, and he goes on to talk about kings and he talks about uh, leadership in general. Uh, but what he's getting at is he's saying that the issue uh, isn't that leadership is a bad thing. The issue is that men are bad. <laughs> and so we turn leadership into a bad thing. Right. So leadership is a good thing. God created leadership. He created the idea of submission. He himself submits in himself. The son submits to the father. Mm. Uh, but the issue is, is that man is messed up. And when I say man, I mean mankind, women and men are messed up and none of us because of the fall none of us lead in the way that we should so if women were in charge there would be uh, the issues might be different but there would still be issues um, and if men are in charge then there are issues yeah know. yeah absolutely you know so so concubine Im um, ism I guess is the word but it, it brings up something that a lot of Christians uh, struggle with 
hugely and don't even think about um uh some other ones don't even think about and that is um you know the bible talks about all the issues that we have in our life today you know pornography sex trafficking these type of things these things are rooted in so much the biblical narrative they're they're part of these people's lives their stories are just wrapped around um this environment um so it's it, it it's something that you know you think that we as christians man would really be able to engage in this stuff really well that we would be able to see it and talk about it and and you know things like that and what always blows me away is it's kind of weird that that in w- that we can't it's really odd to me that that we as Christians have such a text of so much of this um you know where uh, some of the greatest heroes we have of the faith you know practiced this and 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 that is very difficult for many um dare i even say leaders to to work through mm. um how can they be good people how can be and and those type of things and the the answer is is that they're not good people yeah. <laughs> is that no one is good no one is righteous you know um um, and this is this is where the message of the gospel becomes good news is because we are saved by grace through faith yeah. and um, and th- and that kind of thing. And nowhere does God, uh, of course, in the word just be like, hey, great. I'm glad you have multiple wives. I'm glad you're using concubines. Those type. You never see that kind of affirmation from God right. on these people's lives. Right. If anything, you see the opposite. Because it seems that all the biblical authors are going out of their way to show all the issues with concubinage and multiple wives and the poor treatment of women and how it impacts. You know, the Bible is one of the very few pieces of ancient literature that even brings to the surface women's issues. Yeah. And and how it impacts those women and how it impacts those girls and lets them take center stage and shows how it just tears them up and ruins them. Yeah, so if we if we look at what we talked about in the first, you know, 45 minutes and we kind of pulled it into the idea of concubines, it would kind of look like this to me. The assumption is that, you know, sexualization of the culture produces horrible things like this kind of stuff, sex trafficking, things of that nature, you know. But then when you look at the Bible, did the sexualization of that culture in Abraham's life, did that produce the sex trafficking like was Gideon into porn mm-hmm. was Abraham into porn you know were these guys was Judah into porn you know that made him go get prostitutes you know was Samson into porn um you know obviously they didn't have the porn industry yeah you know as we know it today but yet these guys I, I hope people are getting my point now mm-hmm. is that that these guys practice something that would be considered from the the sex trafficking websites the most hardcore thing you can do you know so was Gideon into child porn you know was Abraham into child porn you know if that is really the issue Hmm. then the you know meaning if pornography is what is driving someone to to traffic you know young girls then then maybe all the guys in the Bible too were into it. Yeah. You know? And um you know, so 
So what, you know, they were in, they, they got concubines. So did they, you know, what did they do? What, what was the progression in their life? What was, was there a sexualization in their life? Or, you know, cause we tend to think like we tend, and the reason why I'm bringing both our halves of the podcast together is because many of us think that Abraham just kind of woke up one day and just went, you know what? You know, concubines, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and, and you're right. Things are, things are in the culture. Like when you went to Afghanistan, things are just in the culture, you know? And it's not necessarily that there was a sexualization of women that were in in his culture like if you went to afghanistan and we said oh is there a sexualization of women here yeah you know um like what did you think no <laughs> okay no no so there wasn't girls in halter tops or or yoga pants running around or you know what i mean yeah and it, it all comes back to this old like chicken and egg kind of thing like what came first and you have to realize you know because you could because you could then point a finger at culture and be like well maybe culture made abraham do this right where is the question where does culture come from right culture comes from the desires of men that's how culture gets built if everybody wanted something different someone's like you know i want to start a culture we have concubinage and everyone in that society was like no you know it would have never become a cultural thing that's right you know the reason why it became a cultural <laughs> thing is because everyone was like sure yes you know i want this you know <laughs> And in the same way, you know, in the same, uh, the same avenue, it's like, well, how did child pornography get started? Because you would have to say, if child pornography produced child molesters, you'd have to say, how did it get started? Well, it got started because there was a lot of guys who said yes. Well, people and already started molesting people before already, child yeah. pornography. And so people right. produced it. Obviously, when people are producing it, that means that people are consuming it. And if people are consuming it, that means that people were already into it. You know, so the hearts of men come first. The hearts of mankind come first and then come these things yeah. that we and, and what we need to understand as people, as Christians, is that it's not the other way around. It's not the culture or an industry or a thing or a sexualization or whatever. It's not a society. That's not what came first. It's our hearts that produce these things. Yeah. Right. So what the Bible says is it's not about changing the culture. It's about changing the heart. Right. That's the real issue. That's what needs to shift. And until the heart changes, the culture can't change. Yeah. Which is uh, really difficult for us to take because we always go, hey, we need to change the culture. Maybe we change the culture. We change hearts. And um, and again, a lot of times in, in Christianity, what we do is we tend to measure sins. Mm. We tend to go, oh, there's certain sins better. So self-righteousness is much better than whoredom. Yeah. You know. Um, again, Jesus might differ on that from Matthew <laughs> chapter 21, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, um, where he says, uh, you know, the, the whores will enter the kingdom before um, the Pharisees. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, but we tend to think of it, we tend to judge that way. And we tend to think, oh, no, whoredom's much worse, yeah. you know, than self-righteousness. Yeah. And, and looking at Afghanistan and going, oh, it's, we're just a better society, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's much, it's instead of looking at our own society and going, you know, we, we have, you know, enough evil mm. to, we don't need to be, 
<laughs> we don't need to be <laughs> got look- enough evil to answer for. That's right. <laughs> we don't. We got to get enough stuff out. to be looking at in our own hearts and in our own cultures and in our own lives and things like that to be to be uh, going off on other people per se. Yeah. Um, those type of things. But um, and the funny thing is, and, and this is something that I hope um, everyone gets that I need to understand as well, is that when you're dealing with the idea of societal or cultural differences, sociologists have long said that there's only really three ways. To deal with it, Jesus says there's a fourth, but we have, as humanity, have only come up with three ways to deal with it. There's assimilation, there's annihilation, and then there's subjugation. Meaning, if you have two societies that differ on issues, the only way that harmony is ever going to come about between those two societies is through either assimilation, meaning bringing them in and making them just like us. So we have an issue with people who are, you know, uh, into child pornography and stuff like that. So how do we fix them? Make them just like us. You know, make them just like us. Or you can subjugate them, meaning you through can say law, right? through law, you could say like, you know what, there's no way you're going to become like us. So we're just going to either lock you up, treat you like second class citizens or make you just work in slavery uh, because you're just no good to the society. Or you can annihilate them. You can just kill them. Mm. Right. And then you deal with it. Right. Jesus says there's a fourth way. Right. So either you're going to have to pick one of those three or you're going to have to go Jesus's way. Jesus says the fourth way is he says, I have a kingdom not of this earth. Meaning that there is only, in Jesus' eyes, there's only two societies. There's a society of God, and then there's a society of man. And Jesus says the only way that the society of man is going to be able to come to the society of God is if the king of heaven comes to the society of men, dies for us, and then teaches us to live like him. Right? It's the only way. So if we're dealing with these different issues and we're saying, like, how, how do we fix the culture? Well, our culture is a mess, too. Right? Every culture is a mess because in the eyes of God, all cultures are equally fallen before him because none of them are his society. That's tough for a lot of people <laughs> to swallow right there. <laughs> so he's saying, I need to get you guys up to me. I don't want you just to be different than that culture. I want you to be where I'm at. And when you look at the ancient Christians, that was their mission. They were like, because they grew up in a society that was totally against them. They grew up in a society that was totally 100% against their values. And so they said, there, there's really only one way that we're going to win this. We can't assimilate because everyone hates us. We can't annihilate because we have no power. We can't subjugate because we have no power. So the only real avenue that we have to go down is we have to hope and pray that Jesus said what he meant, that he is the king of heaven, and that he can dwell with us and in us and have power to change people. And you see that the Christians, without firing a shot, won almost the entirety of the Roman Empire in just about two centuries. Yeah. Right? But now we live in a culture where we all of a sudden we have the power to assimilate and to subjugate. And that's what we're pressing for. And I hope that's what people see, is that that's really, when you talk about this legislation stuff, that's really what you're pressing for. You're pressing to assimilate people or to subjugate them. But you're not pressing to bring them into the kingdom of heaven. Right? Yeah, which is... Uh, interesting definitely um you know it says but in hebrews 11 it says but now they desire a better that is a heavenly country therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared a city for them Hmm. which is really cool Uh, little caveat is that uh, there is another parallel passage that jesus claims to be god because it says there that god prepares a place for the people 
And in the book of John, we're told that Jesus is preparing a place, meaning Jesus is preparing a kingdom for us. And here it says God is preparing a kingdom for us. So you see that parallel, that Jesus is God preparing that kingdom for us. But the the point is, is that Abraham and those people, even though they were promised lands, and even, even though some of these people were in the land that are mentioned in Hebrews 11, people that entered Israel, you know, became Israel. You know, that wasn't the place that God had for them. It was something even better than that. Mm. And and that was their focus. That was their ultimate focus was bringing people into that kingdom, them them being a part of that kingdom as well, Um, which which resonates. It seems like a lot of these topics that we we touch on today, especially how it affects our culture and stuff like that, which you just brought up with those three points is. That is tough for us because, you know, you know, I, I was in a church one time where they played It's Pr- I'm Proud to Be an American, you know, that song. And everybody, I mean, when they played that song, Peter, everybody stood up on a chair. People were crying. It was like really spooky, mm. you know, and, and and I understand being proud to be in, in a country that you're born in and you're, and you're, you're s- proud to be a part of the legal system and a justice system that is looking out for good, you know, for the good of people and those type of things. And I, I understand all that. And, um, but it, it definitely makes you go, wow, you know, a lot of people have a lot of, a lot of rooted um, um, uh, American pride, I guess I would say. And, and I know the things you just said would touch on, hit, would, would be a sense you'd hit on that sensitive button on them. You know what I mean? You'd hit it that sensitivity to that in them. They might look at what you said and be like, uh, I don't know, man, that's tough. You know, um, you know, that kind of thing. Like we're really not that bad and we're really, you know, those type of things. And, 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 and that's how human beings though work it. I mean, I understand cause that's how human beings are. We're always comparing. Mm-hmm. We're always saying, Oh, well, this is better. This is not so good. This is better. Those type of things. Um, but it's just interesting that from a biblical perspective, um, there is no, you're doing better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There is no, oh, like you're kind of close to God. You know, you're kind of, you're almost in the kingdom. Yeah. You know, it, nope, there's nothing like that. It's either, like you say, there's just two kingdoms. Yeah. You know, there's just God's kingdom and then there's the kingdom of man. Yeah. And, um, and that's how Jesus always related things too. You know, I am of my father's kingdom, mm. you know, and, you know, you are of your father, the devil. Ooh, <laughs> that's hardcore. Yeah, that's a very you know. intense statement, most definitely. And I, I was just thinking while you were saying that uh, about, Paul writes about this issue many times because in the early church, one of the biggest issues was the cultural differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Jews felt like their culture was superior to the Gentiles. And Paul has to write to them about it. And I, I love what he says. I mean, there's there's a great showdown in Philippians. I mean, uh, in Philippians, where he deals with it, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, Galatians. Sorry, Galatians yeah. chapter two, where he deals with it. There's a great throwdown there between him and Peter. Um, but I like what he says in Ephesians two, verse eleven. He says, um, "Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, that was like the name that the Jews were throwing. It was like a racial slur." like you guys are the uncircumcision right they would like it was like a racial slur that they were throwing at them um by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands 
that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, get this, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Now, this is what Paul's saying. It's a kind of a mouthful, but this is what he said. What was keeping, what was causing the enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles? He said the law. And that's radical because the Jews were proud to be Jews because they're like, dude, we got this awesome law. We got a better system. We got a way better system. Our law was given to us by God, man. Like how better of a society could you have? You know, we call ourselves a godly nation. They were the true godly nation. And Paul says, as great as it was, as great as it was, guess what? That law that you're so proud of couldn't save you. Couldn't save you. Your society that you think is so great, all it did is it damned you, kept you from God forever. It's like that, it didn't save you, you know? Like, and, and when Peter is all proud about that in Galatians, Paul says, don't you know that we too need the covenant of Christ? We too need to be dead? And that's why he says, how have they become one? How is their peace? Because Jesus abolished the law. He said, there's no society that can get you to me. Only I can get you to me. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.